Our second lesson today comes from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church there in Rome. I'm reading from chapter 5, and I'm reading the first five verses. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may have heard me mention the name Rob Bell. Rob Bell is a former megachurch pastor from Michigan. He's a younger guy. He maybe is in his uh, late 30s and early 40s. He's an engaging way of speaking and talking about God, of taking on tough issues. And he has become quite a dynamic figure in American Christianity. He's no longer a pastor. He mostly writes and travels around speaking. And he's making quite an impact. In 2011, Rob Bell Uh, wrote a best-selling book entitled Love Wins. And I mentioned that book in a sermon once, a book about heaven and hell and the fate of every person who ever lived. This book got Bell into deep trouble, especially with the conservatives and the evangelicals, even though Bell considers himself somewhat of a conservative and an evangelical. The premise of that book is revealed in the title, Love Wins. We need to engage our lives with God and in loving faithfulness, Bell argues in that book. And he got into trouble with conservatives because Bell said it's less about heaven and hell and judgment and more about God's abiding love that prevails for everyone. I like Rob Bell. And he's bright and he's provocative and he's faithful. So when his newest book just came out, I bought it. It's entitled, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. Here are some words from the first chapter. The truth is, we have a problem with God. We want to talk about God. We need to talk about God. But so much talk about God and the God we seem to talk about seems to be tribal. Existing for a small select group of people. Or, Bell says, God seems to be narrow, irrelevant, or even mean. Because when God comes up in conversation, the conversation is about small and narrow and mean issues like certain behaviors or sexuality or something else that we want rationale for oppressing. Bell even mentions an interview with the famous actress Jane Fonda. In that interview, Fonda, who is well known for the changes and transformations through her life, spoke about her recent transformation, her conversion to Christianity. And the interviewer said, even with your flair for controversy, that's pretty explosive, referring to her conversion to Christianity. In other words, why would anyone want to be a Christian? This is more and more the perception. 
Christianity is narrow and it's focused only on certain issues, many of which are mean and maybe even irrelevant. But Jane Fonda responded in that interview by saying something powerful and helpful. She said, I could feel reverence humming in me. Reverence humming in us. Reverence humming in us. This is why Rob Bell feels compelled to write this latest book. It speaks to all of our experiences. We know that in moments or in tastes or in glimpses, we found ourselves deeply aware of something more. Something more in life. In various moments, there is the sense that all of this might mean something. That life may not be an accident. That life has profound resonance and that it matters in ways that are important and even if they're hard to talk about, hard to explain. Bell argues that there are good and helpful ways to talk about the reverence humming in us. There are ways to talk about God beside the narrow or irrelevant or mean aspects of God that we hear so much about, even in our own state, even in the most recent week as we've watched the unfolding of the gubernatorial campaign. God is a very big subject. So at the very least, we should not narrow God to just those items that seem important to us or our agenda or whatever we seek to condemn or condone. God is a very big subject, which is why we seek, especially in this church, to keep growing and understanding, to keep asking the big questions to, about who God is and what God is doing and what might God be calling us to do in this day, on these streets, for this time. How do we partner with God? How do we orient our lives toward the things that God really cares about? Today, according to our nation's calendar, it's Memorial Day weekend. So we have an extra day off this weekend and we launch into summer and we give thanks this weekend for all who have sacrificed for the joys and the freedoms that are ours that we cherish. We remember this weekend that freedom is not free. We have been all given so much. Today, according to the church's calendar, it's Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday always comes the first Sunday after Pentecost, which was last Sunday. Trinity Sunday always gives us a chance to talk about God, uh, to talk about God in a big way. See, the idea of the Trinity is a big idea, which goes along with our big God. Our opening hymn is appropriate for this Sunday on Trinity Sunday. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. It's a hymn full of big images. Maybe even confusing images. But images that remind us that ours is a big God. As Ginger was telling the children. Ours is a big God. And when we recognize the reverence humming in us. When we talk about God, we know we have to move into larger territory. It cannot be narrow.
or specific. We've already stood and sung the Gloria Patri, and we always sing the Gloria right after we've heard the assurance of pardon, when we've said we turn from our ways and we commit ourselves afresh in the good news of the gospel to live as God's people. We stand and sing glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. When reverence is humming in us, when the gospel is spoken to our hearts and our losses and our brokenness, we're compelled to stand and sing some big words. Glory be to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've also got today, coming up in our worship, the Apostles' Creed. And you know how that flows with the triune setting. And we have other manifestations of God's bigness in our hymns, in our prayers, in our scripture lessons, even in the benediction when we say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, for centuries... Centuries and centuries, Christians have sung and confessed faith and prayed and received people into membership, into the community, at baptism, and gone into the world to live and serve with triune or Trinitarian images, with worship and with language rooted in the Trinity. All of this reminds us that we worship and we serve a big, broad all-encompassing God who cannot be reduced to small and narrow and irrelevant specifics. Actually, the word Trinity doesn't even appear in the Bible. The term was developed by the church and its theologians across the first centuries of the church's life, 100 to 300 A.D., and the Trinitarian doctrine was... Uh, emerged to describe the realities of God that were found in Scripture. So the word Trinity is not in the Scriptures, but the realities that are understood and explained in the Trinity are found in Scripture as one God revealed and experienced in three major ways or three ways that we encounter the one God. All of that is all through Scripture. Hence, the Trinity emerged for the church. So the early church held tightly to the belief in one God consistent with Judaism. We know Christianity emerged out of Judaism, which had for centuries confessed its faith in one God. Actually, that was the primary designation that made the Hebrew people and their God unique, monotheism. For they were surrounded by many religions, and many of those religions worshipped many gods. Hear, O Israel... The Lord is our God and the Lord is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in many other references through the Old Testament. One God. So the early Christian church expressed its faith in the God of Israel, the one true God. We don't just worship some God. We worship the God of the Hebrew people. The God we find in the Old Testament story of God's covenant with, these, with this particular people. But then there emerged a difference. The disciples' experience of Jesus, of Nazareth, their encounters with him, gave them a fresh and powerful experience of the one true God, the God of Israel. In Jesus' life and in his teachings and in his uh, suffering and in his death, Christians believe the God of Israel, 
is and was present and real and unmistakable in Jesus like never before. And then the church experienced the day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday, the day when the wind and the flames appeared and there was this mighty and powerful sense that God was alive and work at work in their midst. And in all of this, Christians knew God. The one true God was present and powerfully uh, inspiring them to be the church in life and ministry following Jesus. And then looking forward and then looking backward from these experiences, the earliest Christians began to recognize that they were experiencing the one true God in three major, unique, and related ways. The God of Israel, who is creator and sustainer of the world and the sustainer of the covenant with God's people. And in Jesus Christ, who conveyed God's loving presence and power like no other. And in the Holy Spirit, who is not an impersonal force, but a presence who empowers the church to be the people of God in the world. One God, experienced in three ways. Amazing, mysterious, majestic, fantastic, all rolled together. In our two scripture lessons today, first from Psalm 8, we understand that God is majestic and sovereign over all the earth. How great and awesome is God, whose glory fills the skies, yet also the one who relates to us personally, knows us as human beings, as Ginger was describing, empowers us to be an important uh, partner with God in the work of the world. And then in Romans 5, we have all three of the Trinity mentioned in just five verses. We have been given peace and access to the Almighty God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, a human being, one among us. And in all of our suffering and enduring and persevering and struggling, God never leaves us but pours God's Spirit upon us into our hearts. How do we talk about God? How do we affirm the reverence that this humming is in us and around us and through us? Christians have used this language and this image of the Trinity to help us grasp it. The breadth, the beauty, the majesty, the mystery, the personal presence, the power, the possibilities of God. The Trinity. On Wednesday of this week, I am planning to make a trip to Charlottesville with a group of Christians and Muslims and Jews from the metro region. You probably remember back in Abraham when we had the Families of Abraham exhibit that this church was a part a sponsor in. The exhibit celebrated the commonalities and the uh, relatedness of Christians and Muslims and Jews, we share so much. We want to work together and serve together in Metro Richmond and for a better world. Well, since that Abraham exhibit, we are working on conversations and we're building friendships across the inherent religious divisions among us. So this Wednesday, some of us are going to Charlottesville and visit Monticello and have lunch together and then meet with a UVA professor to talk about how we might read our scriptural text together and understand and affirm each other. 
One of the challenges of these conversations and one of the challenges of this relationship has to do with the Trinity. For Jews and Muslims, this piece of our faith remains a bit confusing. Do we worship one God? Because monotheism is so crucial to Muslims and Jews. Or do we worship three? Father, Son, and Spirit. The hymn says, one in three persons, blessed Trinity. Our scripture says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access through his grace. And God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Here's the essence, at least for me. The one God touches our life in various ways. We know the one God as the creator and sustainer of the world and the sustainer of our covenant with God that goes back to the very beginning of time and promises to hold us forever. We encounter the one and the same God in the person and work of Jesus who lived among us with wisdom, with courage, with teaching, with suffering, and whom God raised from the dead. We experience the same one God powerfully present at the beginning of time and all through the ages and in the midst of our lives as the Spirit, a force for healing, a force for good, empowering us to live as God's people today and forever. These roles... These experiences of God do not ever compete with each other. They are not against each other or even separate from each other. These three main roles or experiences of God are the same God working for the same Trinitarian purpose, the transformation of life, the transformation of my life, and the transformation of the world's life toward the kingdom of God, the reign of peace and light and love everywhere. Martin Luther King, the great prophet and preacher, has a wonderful quote. He says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. We sense indeed that there's reverence humming within us. The Trinity wants to help us think and talk about God in a big way. The big God of creation, the God of the universe, the God whom we encounter in the wisdom and in the resurrection of Jesus, the God whom we know is always at work in the Spirit, empowering us, inspiring us, and moving the world toward God's reign. We're often limited by words. We're often limited by images even and conceptions. But we seek to serve and worship a reality, a great God of all who made us and made all things, who knows us and remains at work all around us and whose life and purpose point to the light and the love and the joy and the hope of Jesus Christ our Lord. May our lives hum with reverence and may we keep taking a step on the staircase of faith, thinking and talking about God with breadth and broadness and majesty and mystery and magnificence 
So our lives are continually enlarged. And as we move more and more toward the very large reign of God in our hearts, in our city, and in our world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief and keep enlarging our hearts and our lives to serve you all our days. Amen.